are listening to Aftersight. This recording is intended solely for individuals who are blind or have low vision. Thank you for joining us for the Thursday, February 8, 2024 reading of the Boulder Weekly. My name is Eric Levine. News. Grassroots. How Climate Justice Can Lead Us to a Greener Future by Michael Micah K. Ben-David. Shalom, sh- salam, wonderful neighbors. I'm Micah, his, him, plus we, us, a community organizer and political operative for more than 25 years, born and raised in the vibrant chaos of Jerusalem. Some years ago, I traded the complexities of apartheid for the promise of a healthier community here in Boulder. If you want to dive deeper into my adventures, visit boulder.earth slash Micah, that's M-I-C-H-A, dash Kurz, K-U-R-Z. I'm excited for this first of many monthly columns curated by the Boko Climate Justice Hive at Naropa University. It is a fun collaboration to share climate justice organizing principles, shed light on local efforts, and encourage us all to reach out and work together. Let's discuss one of those principles, equity and environmental justice. In plain language, environmental justice is about everyone deserving a clean and healthy environment, no matter their background. Enter climate justice, a term highlighting the disproportionate impacts of climate change on communities of color and low-income residents. You can Google the fancy definitions later. Right now, let's talk about how these issues play out in Boulder County. I was shocked to learn that some communities, particularly poor and working class communities and communities of color, lack clean drinking water. I'm also concerned about who's making sure the Valmont power plant cleanups doesn't turn into a toxic mess for those manufactured home communities nearby, not to mention the rest of us. Who will stop Airbnb from pricing working class mountain folk out of town? And what's the deal fracking in our backyard? More and more people are experiencing poverty and homelessness around us. Whether social injustices or climate chaos, we know the root causes lie in unregulated, extractive industry. I thought Boulder would be the superhero town, facing climate chaos like a boss and tackling systemic injustices with Thich Nhat Hanh flair. I mean, the highest Bernie voting rate per capita? Naropa as a beacon of spiritual and political awakening? Boulder, despite its reputation, has a few surprises up its sleeve, like a conservative streak when it comes to race and class, and elected officials who don't want to touch international affairs. Nowhere's perfect, but we all know that we can do better. It's heartening to see local governments, organizations, faith-based communities, and local businesses talk about shifting gears to face historical inequities. There's a lot of talk. We're good at it. Meanwhile, many of our frontline leaders are trapped in the daily systemic survival mode that so many community-based organizations feel worldwide. 
Our challenges here aren't that original, structurally speaking. Many nonprofits rely on grants, which often require the bulk of staff administrative time and prevent leaders from engaging in their primary roles as community organizers and grassroots campaigners. Short term, project based funding causes employment instability, workers' rights degradation, and further narrowing of vision. The anxiety about the non-renewal of this funding also limits an organization's ability to speak out about objections or differences of opinion. Competition for funding also leads to chronically siloed efforts rather than collaboration on more comprehensive visions and work plans. So no, we are not quite superheroes yet, but we can learn to collaborate better across sectors, communities, and economic classes. Let's make people who are disproportionately impacted by climate change the MVPs and put their needs and rights front and center. They're the experts on their own communities. You can learn more about local frontline projects and leadership at one of the Climate Justice Collaborative's monthly community cafecitos. Information can be found at cjcboco.org. Find out how the larger ecosystem of climate justice is shaping a better Boulder County by 2030 at boulder.earth. In the meantime, read the climate justice columns the second week of every month and hold your public representatives accountable. Here's to weaving the threads that connect us, addressing climate justice, learning about solidarity, and sharing a laugh or two along the way. This opinion does not necessarily reflect the views of Boulder Weekly. News, Government Watch, February 7, 2024, by Boulder Weekly staff. Boulder City Council, reminder, at the February 8 study session, Council will meet for 3.5 hours for a staff presentation and discussion on homelessness strategy. At the February 15 meeting, Council will vote to update and adopt its statement on regional, state, and federal policy issues. The statement outlines decisions made outside the city's authority that could impact the area. They will take a preliminary vote on the annexation of 27 acres to be publicly zoned for part of the city's South Boulder Creek Flood Mitigation Project. The city, which uses the address 5600 Table Mesa Drive for the property, wants to annex the area for, quote, jurisdictional clarity and permitting efficiency, unquote, according to Communications Senior Project Manager Angela Urego. A final vote and public hearing are scheduled March 21. They will vote on a ceasefire resolution regarding the Israeli-Gaza conflict and they will hear an update from Xcel Energy about the company's progress toward goals in its franchise agreement with the city. Goals from the partnership include addressing the gap between Xcel's commitment to 80% carbon emission reduction by 2030 and the city's own goal of 100% renewable electricity by the same date. The franchise agreement was originally approved by voters in November 2020. Boulder County Commissioners, on February 8, the Commissioners will 
make a decision following a hybrid public meeting about the westward extension of an existing sanitary sewer on Gay Street, north of Highway 66, to provide service for the future development of the Terry Lake neighborhood. Registration is required for virtual and in-person attendance. They will hold an in-person town hall to discuss disaster preparedness that will include a presentation from Mike Chard, the county's emergency management disaster manager. The meeting is at 5.30 p.m. at The Spoke on Kaufman Cafe, 516 Kaufman Street in Longmont. On February 13, the commissioners will hear presentations from staff in the Parks and Open Space Department seeking approval for property acquisitions totaling nearly 150 acres for $4.78 million at 6969 Ute Road, 10384 Airport Road, 0 Four Mile Canyon Drive, and the southeast corner of 95th Street and Lookout Road. Registration is required for both virtual and in-person attendance. On February 6 and 15, commissioners will hold interviews for Boulder County Coroner following Emma Hall's resignation. The new coroner will be appointed on February 20 and will hold the office until January 2025 when a coroner selected by voters in the 2024 general election will take office. Previously, the county had stated that the newly appointed coroner would hold the office through January 2027. News, BOCO, briefly, February 7, 2024. Local News at a Glance, by Shea Castle. Study, wealthier Marshall Fire survivors raised more on GoFundMe. A CU Boulder analysis of private fundraising campaigns for Marshall Fire survivors found that wealthier households attracted more donors and larger donations than lower-earning families. Researchers analyzed GoFundMe campaigns for 975 survivors of the Marshall Fire and private financial data via a partnership with credit bureau Experian. They found that, quote, Beneficiaries with incomes above $150,000 received 28% more support than those with incomes below $75,000, according to a university write-up on the study. Households with larger GoFundMe campaigns started rebuilding their homes four to eight months earlier, the research found. Researchers attributed the disparity to the larger and more wealthy social networks of richer households. The paper has not yet been through the peer review process. Read more at bit.ly slash Marshall with two L's dash fire dash funds. Doxing truck targets CU Ethnic Studies Department. A truck with a large electronic billboard last week displayed the names and images of professors in CU's Ethnic Studies Department under the text, quote, Boulder's Leading Anti-Semites, unquote. That's according to multiple media reports and social media posts. The truck was affiliated with Accuracy in Media, a nonprofit conservative media watchdog, The organization's trucks have visited several campuses across the country, including Harvard and Yale, 
projecting the names and images of students and faculty who have publicly criticized Israel for its military response to an October 7 terrorist attack. The vehicle has been dubbed a, quote, doxing truck, quote, after the practice of publishing and or amplifying identifiable information about individuals, typically with the intent to intimidate or harass. In Boulder, at least one professor moved a class online, the Daily Camera reported. CU's Ethnic Studies Department first drew public condemnation for an October 23 statement supporting a, quote, free Palestine, unquote. University officials distanced themselves from the statement, which was later withdrawn. AIM later posted on X an image of the truck with, quote, free Palestine, unquote, spray painted on it, claiming that the truck was vandalized while at CU Boulder. University officials released a statement condemning, quote, tactics designed to intimidate and threaten our students, faculty, and staff, unquote. Anti-hate town hall. The Boulder County District Attorney's Office and Boulder Jewish Community Center are co-hosting Standing Against Hate, a community town hall, Monday, February 12, from 7 to 9 p.m., The event will feature a panel with representatives of the DA's office, JCC, Out Boulder County, Anti-Defamation League, and CU's Center for African American Studies, and will include instruction on bystander intervention. The town hall is part of the DA's initiative to reduce hate crimes ongoing since 2018. Quote, the numbers in Colorado are particularly concerning, unquote says DA spokesperson Shannon Carbone, with reported hate crimes increasing 14% between 2017 and 2022. Questions can be submitted in advance to the email address boulderda at bouldercounty.org. Additional questions will be taken from the audience if time allows. In other news, the Hill Ambassador Program will last through December after CU put $57,000 towards an extension. Ambassadors pick up trash, remove graffiti, and provide information to residents and tourists. The program is a partnership of the university, downtown business groups, and the city of Boulder. Boulder's Public Library is looking for volunteer board members to oversee operations of the new district. A two-year and a five-year term are available. Applications are due February 29. Visit boulderlibrary.org slash about slash board to learn more or attend a February 20 info session from 5 to 6 p.m. at the Canyon Meeting Room of the Main Library, 1001 Arapaho Avenue. Boulder Housing Partners was awarded $1.9 million by the state's housing board to help fund construction of the 73-unit Hawthorne Court apartment complex at Diagonal Plaza, according to a news release from the government agency. Raw milk could become legal to sell in Colorado under proposed bipartisan legislation SB 024-43, 
Read more from Colorado Public Radio at bit.ly slash raw-milk-bill. News. Weekly Why. Why is there so much radon in Colorado? And why you should test for it. By Kaylee Harder, February 6, 2024. Radon is the second leading cause of lung cancer after smoking, and Coloradans face a greater risk than the average American. Half of the houses in Boulder County have unhealthy radon levels compared to an average of 6% nationally, according to Boulder County Public Health, BCPH. But unlike many of the environmental hazards we face today, the conditions that created elevated radon levels are naturally occurring and existed far before humans roamed the earth. Radon is an odorless, tasteless gas that is released as uranium decays in bedrock and soil. Most of what's exposed in the mountains of Colorado is granite, formed from magma and rich in uranium, says Lang Farmer, a radiogenic isotope geochemist in CU Boulder's Department of Geology. Quote, All of Long's Peak is granite. All up Boulder Creek is a bunch of granite. It's all 1.7 to 1.4 billion year old granite rock. So they're old, but they're chock-a-block with uranium, Farmer says. So any place around the world where you're sitting on bedrock that has broad tracks of Precambrian granites like these, there's just a lot of uranium, unquote. Farmer says it's a double whammy in Colorado because much of the exposed rock east of the Rocky Mountain front is young sedimentary rock formed from eroded granite in the state, along with organic matter that, quote, sucks up uranium, unquote. Many houses in the state are built on top of that uranium-rich bedrock and soil. Quote, what happens is the gas gets drawn into homes through cracks and gaps around plumbing, penetrations in the foundation, and from soils in the crawl spaces, unquote, says Patty Dooley Strapelli, an environmental health specialist with Boulder County Public Health. Quote, it can reach concentrations that increase the potential for developing lung cancer because it's a radioactive gas and emits these radioactive particles that are floating around in the air, unquote. Lung cancer screenings aren't as routine as those for cancers like prostate and breast, and you may have to have a history of smoking for insurance to cover a CT scan for lung cancer. Public health officials are working to change that, Dooley Strapelli says. The good news? Radon mitigation is fairly simple, she says. Testing for radon typically consists of placing a charcoal-based kit that absorbs radioactive material in your house for less than a week. Then the kit is set to an accredited laboratory. Winter is a good time to test for the gas since windows should be kept closed during the test. These tests are available for free from the state from sosradon.org slash purchase dash kits for $17 or from stores like Home Depot for under $10. The Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, 
defines elevated levels as anything 4.0 picocuries per liter or greater. Living in a home with that level is equivalent to smoking eight cigarettes a day, according to BCPH. If elevated radon is detected, households can install a mitigation system that's, quote, kind of like a giant vacuum that sucks out the soil gas from underneath the foundation and sends it out and away from the house, unquote. For renters, if elevated levels are discovered and the landlord fails to mitigate it, the tenant has a right to terminate their lease, which is mandated in Senate Bill 23-206, passed in 2023. Those systems typically can be installed with half a day's work and cost around $1,200, according to Dooley Strapelli. But a state program fully reimburses mitigation systems for income-qualifying households. In Boulder County, a one-person household with an annual income of $66,700 qualifies for the program. For a two-person household, the limit is $76,200. A full table of income limits and more information on the program can be found at oitco-dat, excuse me, oitco-dat, Highland Cloud, that's H-Y-L-A-N-D-C-L-O-U-D dot com slash C-D-P-H-E-R-M-P-O-P slash D-O-C-P-O-P slash D-O-C-P-O-P dot A-S-P-X. Mitigation systems typically last about 15 years, but it's still a good idea to test every few years, Dooley Strapelli says. Quote, it's really easy to test for it, and it's easy to fix, she says. There's a simple solution to bring the level down, and levels can always be reduced. Unquote. Have a question you want us to answer in our weekly why column? Email us at editorial at boulderweekly.com with weekly why in the subject line. Cuisine, nibbles, big truffle makers, how two Boulder County chocolate crafters got their start by John Lendorf, February 6, 2024. Willy Wonka undergoes dire changes on his unlikely path to become a chocolatier whose sweets make people fly in Wonka, the new prequel film about Roald Dahl's famous character. Quote, I've spent the last seven years traveling the world, perfecting my craft, says Timothée Chalamet as the titular character. You see, I'm something of a magician, inventor, and chocolate maker. Unquote. Brandon Bush of Lift Chocolate and Corey Crespi of Corey's Chocolate hit the road for wildly different careers, both ended up in Boulder County crafting chocolates designed to make customers smile and sigh. Coming the Candian. Bush was literally flying while his passion for chocolate blossomed. Quote, I was commissioned in the Marine Corps in 2004 as a CH-53 heavy lift helicopter pilot deployed to Iraq and Af Afghanistan, he says. In my downtime, I read culinary and pastry textbooks because I always enjoyed working in a kitchen. 
After leaving active duty, Bush headed to pastry school, but decided that a baker's typical 3 a.m. wake-up call was, quote, not a lot of fun, unquote, he says. Bush's big cacao epiphany occurred as he flew home from Mexico. Quote, I watched a woman take a bite of chocolate, and she had such a visible reaction to it, he recalls. She was obviously experiencing immense pleasure, and you could tell she wasn't afraid to show it. It struck me then that chocolate is not like other foods, unquote. Lift Chocolate launched in 2015 with a couple of molds and basic equipment. It expanded with Bush's purchase of an existing Boulder chocolate company in 2017. The gun barrel-based operation now ships more than 25 flavors of gem-like truffles across the country, including raspberry, death by ganache with 85% dark chocolate, lime caramel, and hazelnut cappuccino. The chocolates are available at Whole Foods Market, the Peppercorn, and the Niwot Market. Quote, One of the things I love about chocolate is terroir, Bush says. Just like with wine, every different chocolate tastes like where it came from. Unquote. Since Lyft doesn't manufacture chocolate from bean to bar, Bush emphasizes the importance of finding ethical certified suppliers around the world. Now a lieutenant colonel in the Marine Reserves, Bush's military call sign is Candyman. As such, he may be the highest-ranking chocolate maker in the U.S. military, the unofficial chocolatier general. Quote, I'd accept a promotion like that, unquote, he says. From sea kayaks to sweet success, chocolate making was far removed from Corey Crespi's initial career. Quote, I spent years working as an outdoor educator and guide all over the world, he says. I did sea kayak guiding in Maine and went to South America to work for Outward Bound, unquote. Living in a little cabin in Estes Park in 2017, Crespi started dreaming about creating a less seasonal job making chocolates. There was, he notes, just one catch, quote, I really didn't know much at all about making chocolates, he admits. I would make them at home and share them with friends and family. One friend tasted my chocolates and said, you made these, but these are really good. No offense was taken, unquote. Crespi started selling at the Estes Park Farmer Market and grew to sell at other summer markets, including in Boulder and Longmont. A chocolate tour of Belgium, France, and Switzerland, and serious chocolate classes have solidified his skills. Using fair trade chocolate primarily from Colombia, Corey's Chocolates offers a dozen products including pomegranate, passion fruit, and raspberry caramel truffle varieties. Chocolate, especially chocolates made, shipped, and sold outdoors in the summer, face a significant melting and spoilage challenge. Quote, I went into the kitchen to make something that would work in the summer, Crespi says. Chocolate elixir is a chocolate sauce and spread in a jar made from single-origin dark chocolate. You can melt it on fruit, spread it on toast, and add it to coffee and baked goods, unquote. He says you can also just spoon it from the jar directly into your mouth. Corey's chocolates also produce 
a vanilla bean caramel sauce. Crespi hopes to bring back a popular spoonable spread he crafts using fresh raspberries. According to Crespi, chocolate elixir was not his first sweet experiment in the kitchen. Quote, when I was growing up, we didn't have a lot of sweets in the house, he says. I would take unsweetened baker's chocolate, which is so bitter, and concoct different treats. I would heat it up, add maple syrup, and get this gooey mess to mix with peanut butter and spread on bread. To me, chocolate is just a miracle, Crespi continues. Everyone who loves chocolate needs to experience bean to bar. You see a cacao pod and you're like, this is chocolate? It's a bizarre, mushy white fruit with big seeds, unquote. The transformation these seeds undergo can be breathtaking. Quote, I was thinking of one particular chocolate that I really love from Madagascar that has a terracotta color. Take a taste and let it melt in your mouth for a minute, and you taste red fruits like raspberry. It's amazing, unquote. Culinary Calendar, New Year's Noodles. Colorado observed its first state-celebrated Lunar New Year on February 2. Boulder's Creature Comforts Cafe hosts an Eight Treasures Chinese New Year dinner on February 10, featuring chef Devin Kiyoprafe's Lion's Head Meatballs, Cantonese-style chicken, longevity noodles, steamed catfish, and more. Visit creaturecomforts.cafe. Boulder's Vapor Distillery and Moksha Chocolate co-host a craft whiskey and artisan chocolate pairing February 14 at the distillery. Visit boulderspirits.com. Worms, stink bugs, and chocolate-covered scorpions are on the Festival de Bichos menu February 5 through 11 at Denver's Michelin-recognized La Diablas Pozole y Mezcal restaurant. Visit ladiabladenver.com. Coming soon, High Country, a new restaurant from the team at Gemini at 1117 Pearl Street. That's the former home of Hapa Sushi Grill, recently moved to 1048 Pearl Street. Taste of the Week, the Runza Variations. Runzas are the Nebraska-born culinary cousins to calzones, empanadas, and Eastern European birocks and porochki. Instead of a flaky crust or chewy dough, runzas consist of bread dough wrapped around various ingredients and baked. I stopped by the only local Runza restaurant franchise at 1743 Main Street in Longmont. Besides the original Runza with ground beef, cabbage, onions, and cheese, the menu includes a southwestern variation. I opted for the Swiss mushroom Runza, a true comfort experience wrapped in soft, squishy bread. For a good time, grab some bread dough, add your favorite sandwich filling, and bake a few just before the Super Bowl this weekend. Words to chew on, chocolate lust. Quote, the Spanish ladies of the New World are madly addicted to chocolate to such a point that, not content to drink it several times each day, they even have it served to them in church. Unquote. 
from Jean-Antoine Briat Savarin, 1825. John Lendorf is looking for your favorite meal deals, great affordable fare, at Boulder County restaurants. Send your nominations to nibbles at boulderweekly.com. Entertainment, stage, curtain calls, three local theater productions to catch or skip, Tony Tresca, February 7, 2024. From gripping thrillers to immersive experiments, Colorado's theater scene is vibrant and varied. Here are three ongoing stage shows in Boulder, Aurora, and Golden, highlighting the breadth and depth of local offerings. Dry Living with the Catamounts. Feed Dry at the Dairy Arts Center is an ambitious exploration of temperance versus hedonism brought to life through a unique blend of culinary arts and performance. This latest installment from the Catamounts Feed series, directed by Joan Brumer Holden, offers an immersive experience that marries the senses in celebration of the booze-free Dry January movement. With a menu crafted by Bob Sargent of Boulder's Savoy Cuisines and drinks by Kelly Dressman of Longmont's Dryland Distillers, the event navigates the complex dance between abstaining and indulging. On stage, feed, dry, through February 10 at the Dairy Arts Center, 2590 Walnut Street in Boulder. Tickets are $90. Not so fun home. Emma Maxfield directs Vintage Theater's ambitious but uneven production of Fun Home, the Tony Award-winning musical based on Alison Bechtel's 2006 graphic novel. The story, which beautifully depicts Bechtel's coming-of-age experience as a young lesbian, struggles to find its footing on Vintage's small stage. On a positive note, the musical talents of the cast shine through. The performance, particularly with Bridget Burke stepping in as Allison on the Friday night I attended, showcases a cast capable of delivering the emotional depth and vocal range required by the score. On stage, Fun Home, through February 25, at the Vintage Theater, 1468 Dayton Street in Aurora. Tickets are 20 to $38. Misery Shocks at Miner's Alley. Directed by the talented Warren Sherrill, this adaptation of Stephen King's novel transforms the stage into a gripping tableau of suspense and psychological horror. The play's brilliance lies not just in its faithful rendition of the story, but in how it elevates the experience with impeccable pacing, stellar performances, and technical mastery. Emma Messenger dominates the stage as Annie Wilkes, capturing the essence of a fan's descent into madness with terrifying authenticity. Her dynamic performance alongside Torsten Hillhouse's convincing portrayal of the tormented novelist Paul Sheldon creates an electrifying chemistry. Mark Collins, as the diligent Sheriff Buster, adds a layer of earnest concern that contrasts sharply with the unfolding horror. On stage, Misery, through February 11, at the Miner's Alley Performing Arts Center, 1103 Arapahoe Street in Golden. Tickets are $37 to $56.
Entertainment, Screen, Hollywood Gatecrashers, International Movies Shine with the 2024 Oscars nominations by Michael J. Casey, February 7, 2024. They play together and laugh, eat meals, discuss school and tend to the garden. They're just like other families, except for one crucial detail. When it's time to go to work, dear old dad puts on his SS uniform and heads off to Auschwitz next door. Based on Martin Amos's 2014 novel of the same name, The Zone of Interest takes the banality of evil and pushes it to the brink. The father, Christian Friedel, is nothing more than a pencil pusher tasked with increased e efficacy. His wife, Sandra Huller, enjoys the life her husband's position brings, including fine furs and a chance to hobnob with the Reich's higher-ups. Neither is ignorant to the unholy hell next door. She plans to grow privacy vines to block out the crematoriums, but they can't begin to imagine how history will view them. Writer-director Jonathan Glazer has no interest in eliciting empathy for this family. He doesn't even try to understand what makes a seemingly ordinary nuclear family enthusiastically participate in one of the 20th century's greatest horrors. Instead, Glazer is interested in interrogating what we view as horrific and when that perspective takes shape. Does it take 10 years, 80 years, before we understand the error of our ways? If that's true, when will we look back at this moment and shudder at what we did and did not do? And for that, The Zone of Interest, now playing in theaters, garnered five nominations for the 96th Academy Awards, most notably in the Best Picture category. Trade papers and studio PR love to call the Oscars, quote, Hollywood's biggest night, unquote. So it'll be when the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences takes over the Dolby Theater on March 10 with Martin Scorsese, Christopher Nolan, Greta Gerwig, and a whole lot more vying for statues of little golden men. But for all the interest in Killers of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer, and Barbie, this year's Oscars has a decidedly international feel, thanks to the zone of interest and France's Anatomy of a Fall, grabbing two of the ten nominations for Best Picture. Couple those with the five nominations for Best Documentary Feature, all coming from beyond U.S. borders, and the five nominated for Best International Feature, and there's a chance that Hollywood's biggest night ends with a few global great gatecrashers. Around the World Alongside Zone in the international feature category are Italy's Yo Capitano, out in theaters this month, Japan's Perfect Days, playing the international film series March 16, Spain's Society of the Snow, streaming on Netflix, and Germany's The Teacher's Lounge, playing at the Dairy Arts Center February 14 through 18. It's a stacked category, with each nominee as accomplished as the next. Yo Capitano follows two Senegalese cousins as they migrate from Dakar to Italy in search of a better life. But the journey over land and sea is so harrowing, you'll probably wonder why anyone would undertake such an endeavor. Yet so many across the globe do, which is why director Matteo Garoni 
ends Capitano with a beautiful close-up that begs the audience for compassion when we see these unfamiliar faces looking for help on street corners. Equally harrowing is Society of the Snow, which recounts the story of the 1972 plane crash in the Andes Mountains, where 16 survivors had to endure extreme hardships for 72 days. The plane crash sequence alone is not for the faint of heart. There's significantly less death in the teacher's lounge. But this taut and anxious drama builds to a fever pitch after one teacher accuses another of theft. Things get out of hand quickly, and the young idealistic teacher, Leonie Benesh, learns that best intentions are often misconstrued when class and race are involved. Systemic genocide, humanitarian crisis, survival at 15,000 feet, and anxiety-inducing social conflict. No wonder I'm so high on the small epiphanies and everyday appreciations that make perfect days so, well, perfect. Over in the documentary category, things aren't much rosier. Uganda's Bobi Wine, the people's president, streaming on Disney+, Plus, follows a pop star turned presidential challenger in a system that reports to be peaceful and democratic and proves to be anything but. Iran's four daughters, playing at the Dairy Arts Center February 7 through 11, reconstructs the relationship between a mother and her daughters, two of whom choose a troubling path. Chile's The Eternal Memory, streaming on Paramount Plus, is a charge never to forget, even as one of the main subjects succumbs to Alzheimer's disease. India's To Kill a Tiger, not currently available for viewing in Colorado, follows a father as he fights for justice for his sexually abused daughter. And then there's Ukraine's 20 Days in Mariupol, available on VOD, a gripping and illuminating first-hand account of the Russian invasion. Of the four docs I've seen, 20 Days in Mariupol stands tallest, it's a stunning piece of work that will most likely hoist the Ars Oscar on March 10. Zone of Interest will probably do the same in the international feature category, and that might not be the only one it nabs. A lot can happen after a month on the Oscars campaign trail. Could Zone of Interest play Dark Horse and run the table the way Parasite did four years ago? When it comes to the Oscars, anything is possible. On screen, the 96th Annual Academy Awards, 5 p.m. Sunday, March 10, broadcasting live on ABC. Features, Weed Between the Lines, Mapping Magic Mushrooms. Researchers track the evolution of psilocybe in massive study. By Will Brenza, January 30, 2024. Alex Bradshaw has been a mission to map the genomic diversity of psilocybe for years. He's been determined to find out when these peculiar mushrooms started producing psilocybin, and by extension, someday, maybe, to find out why. Recent research Bradshaw authored may have laid the groundwork to do that. The study, published by the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, PNAS, 
represents the largest genomic diversity study for the genus Psilocybe ever, conducted through the University of Utah and the Natural History Museum of Utah, NHMU, the research provides a genetic representation for the genus, what Bradshaw calls a, quote, backbone for future studies, unquote. Bradshaw is already working on publishing an even larger expanded data set from this project. Quote, we will continue to fill those gaps, unquote, he says. As a graduate student at the University of Utah, Bradshaw became fixated on collecting as many genetic representations of psilocybe as possible to map the genus's evolutionary history. He was primarily interested in diversity-based studies at first and something called, quote, biosynthetic gene clusters, unquote, or clusters of genes required to produce something like psilocybin. Shaw quickly realized how hard it is to acquire psilocybin mushrooms for research, in part because of their federally illegal status, but also because samples of obscure species of psilocybin are often extremely rare and hard to come by, and there are a lot of them. Quote, psilocybin is actually globally distributed, and it's got roughly about 165 species. But something like 30 to 40 percent of them have actually only ever been found once, he says. They're actually quite rare. Outside a couple of species, they're actually not very commonly found and collected, unquote. It was a hurdle in his goal of mapping the genus. But through his position as a graduate researcher at NHMU and something called voucher experiments, Bradshaw found he could access a global bank of museum samples that stretched back decades. Quote, we take museum collections, things that have been kind of stored for 20, 30, 40, even sometimes up to 150 years. And we've been putting forth a lot of different methods to extract DNA from them and build genomic DNA from these specimens, unquote, Bradshaw says. He calls it a, quote, treasure trove of biodiversity, unquote. So Bradshaw started building a database. He logged what specimens were available and from what museums, how old they were and what he needed to do to get a hold of them. He even included things like where each specimen grew, whether they decayed wood or were found on dung and so on. Once all of that data was in place and the backbone for the research was built, the lab got to work. Quote, I kind of just got other museums to send me as much as they possibly could, he says. And then we started developing a method to actually get good quality genomic DNA from these specimens. Unquote. The researchers took what's called a phylogenomic approach, using the whole genome sequence to look at evolutionary diversity. In total, his team analyzed 52 psilocybe specimens, including 39 species that have never been sequenced before. Their findings shed a lot of light on this largely unresearched genus of fungi. Bradshaw and his team found that psilocybe mushrooms first appeared on Earth some 67 million years ago, making them older than previously thought. 
They also identified up to five possible horizontal gene transfers to other mushrooms between 9 and 40 million years ago. His favorite finding, though, has to do with psilocybe mushrooms' ability to produce the psychoactive and psychedelic compound psilocybin. This study revealed two separate gene clusters that produce psilocybin with two totally separate evolutionary histories. Quote, That's really interesting because it suggests that psilocybin production in magic mushrooms has actually found a way to make it into that genus at least twice rather than just once, unquote, Bradshaw says. Bradshaw believes this work will be useful for future research on the psilocybe genus. On one hand, the data on psilocybe he's built is a tool to provide predictive power for future researchers. On the other, he believes both academia and society at large have a lot to gain from a better understanding of the genetic history of psilocybe. Quote, Research into psilocybe has not really been taken seriously very much, both at a public level and even within a scientific and academic level, he says. I think that there's a lot of legitimacy for this work, and I think that it has the ability to produce research that could be really helpful for things like the mental health crisis, unquote. Events. Colorado Area Rabbit Show. Saturday, February 10, 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Boulder County Fairgrounds, 9595 Nelson Road in Longmont, Colorado, 303-678-6235. More info is at bouldercounty.gov slash events slash Colorado dash area dash rabbit dash show dash Three, the number three. Events in person, Valentine Bake Sale, Saturday, February 10, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., Thursday, February 8, and Friday, February 9, all from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. at the Shepherd of Love Fellowship, 13550 Lowell Boulevard in Broomfield, free. Our popular Valentine Bake Sale features specially decorated Valentine sugar cookies, homemade cherry, apple, and chocolate cream pies, hand-dipped chocolate-covered cherries, and Texas millionaires, along with Valentine cupcakes, candies, cookies, snacks, and so much more, all homemade, great for family enjoyment as well as teacher or friend gifts. See more at Shepherd of Love, that's S H E P H E R D O F L O V E dot org, or contact Carol at 303 466 5749 or email C Welch, C W E L C H 09 at Comcast.net. Events Windows to Wellness. Saturday, February 10, 2024, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Senior Center, 910 Longs Peak Avenue in Longmont, $10 to $20. Keep your New Year's resolutions going at our Windows to Wellness Fair from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Saturday, February 10. Sign up for individualized sessions with alternative wellness practitioners and holistic healers all located in the gym at the Senior Center. 
Doors open at 8.30 a.m. Each 10-minute session is $10 or 20 minutes for $20. Please bring cash. Sign-up sheets will be available with each practitioner at their booth. This event is best suited for ages 12 plus. In addition to the personalized holistic sessions, free classes will be happening throughout the day so you can try something new to shake up your routine. While waiting for your appointment, check out the numerous vendors offering a variety of different products or catch a health talk. Email fitness staff with questions. Events. In person, craft yoga in the tasting room with Brie Mihalik. Sunday, February 11, 11.15 to 12 p.m. And Sunday, February 25, 11.15 to 12 p.m. At the Left Hand Brewing Company, 1265 Boston Avenue in Longmont, Colorado. 303-772-0258. Free. For more information, email info at lefthandbrewing.com. Events. Bootstrap Loco Ukulele Jam. Sunday, February 11, Sunday, February 18, Sunday, February 25, and Sunday, March 3, all from 2 to 4 p.m., at the Bootstrap Brewing Company, 142 Pratt Street in Longmont, 720-438-8488. Whether you want to learn how to play the ukulele or already do and want to join the fun, wipe off your uke and join in. It's a blast. Host Brian Rezac has extras you can borrow or just come enjoy a beer and watch. All ages and levels welcome. Visit bootstrapbrewing.com slash calendar for more information. Events. Just Between Friends Huge Kids Sale. February 14 through 18 at the Boulder County Fairgrounds, 9595 Nelson Road in Longmont. 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Wednesday through Saturday, free admission. And 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Saturday, free, free admission. For more information, visit, H- visit longmont.jbfsale.com. We know it can be so expensive to buy all the things your growing family needs. You shouldn't have to sacrifice quality or spend all your time at garage sales to find deals so your kids can look good. We believe everyone deserves to feel good about providing well for their kids. That's why we created Just Between Friends a one-stop shopping experience that happens twice a year. Thank you for joining us for the Boulder Weekly. My name is Eric Living. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aftersight.org or by calling 303-786-7777.